0: There's a lot of advice and thoughts floating around regarding what older people should and shouldn't do. And sometimes this advice comes from well-meaning experts in the health field. Perhaps you've heard that older people shouldn't lift heavy weights or exert themselves too strenuously during exercise. Maybe you've even heard that older people shouldn't squat or deadlift, that it's just too dangerous. And what about the Olympic lifts? You know, the snatch and the clean and jerk. To be sure, these powerful, explosive movements are best left to those young and foolish enough to attempt them, right? Hello, and welcome to the Over 50 Health and Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin English, a certified nutritionist and personal trainer and founder of The Silver Edge. Our mission at The Silver Edge is to inspire men and women in their 50s, 60s, 70s, and beyond to live their strongest, healthiest, most fulfilling lives. In today's episode, we talk with Michael Cohen. Michael is a 63-year-old former weightlifting Olympian and two-time Olympic head coach. In this episode, we'll hear how Michael became an Olympian in 1980 and how he went on to become the head coach for the 2000 and 2004 Olympics. Along the way, Michael shares his wisdom on working with elite athletes, as well as introducing older adults and even special populations to weightlifting. And of course, we'll hear Michael's take on how old is too old for weightlifting. And now, On to today's show. Hello, my guest today is Michael Cohen. Michael is a 63 year old former weightlifting Olympian and two time Olympic head coach. In addition to Olympians, Michael has coached numerous senior, junior, and youth national champions. Today, Michael specializes in all things strength and has programs for all levels and all ages. Michael, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate having you here. Now, you're a weightlifting Olympian, and a lot of my audience, or some of my audience, may not know what that means. Okay, Can you tell us what is weightlifting?
1: Sure. Weightlifting is one of the oldest sports in the Olympics. It was in the very first Olympics, the modern Olympics, 1896, and it's morphed over the years. Basically, there are two competitive lifts. The first one goes from the floor all the way overhead in one motion. It is the fastest movement in the Olympics. Average speed, about two-tenths of a second to complete. That's called the snatch. And then the second one is the most difficult one, is the clean and jerk. You can lift the most weight. The bar goes from the floor up to the chest. You take a couple of breaths, and you heave it over your head. And because you get to stop, you can lift a lot more weight. They take the best snatch and your best clean and jerk and put them together for a total. Whoever's got the best total wins.
0: Gotcha. So whoever can lift the most weight is going to be the winner. And that's a weight class sport. Is that correct? Correct.
1: There are 10 weight classes for men, 10 weight classes for women. In fact, what we're seeing now is there are more registered female weightlifters than male lifters.
0: Okay. Are you with us so far? Basically, Olympic weightlifting consists of only two lifts, the snatch and the clean and jerk. Not to be confused with the more generic term weightlifting, you know, things like bench presses, bicep curls, things like that. So I asked Michael how he got started weightlifting.
1: I got it naturally. My father was a member of our national and international squad. He owned a gym in Savannah in the 50s that went all the way up to the 2000s. And uh, I was born in the gym. I was a gym rat. And I've got old videos, Super 8 movies of me lifting weights when I was in the crib. One, two, three, four-year-olds. My first competition when I was uh, seven. And uh, I've been involved ever since. So I grew up in the weight room enjoyed the sport. Daddy was a world-class weightlifter. He had an accident, a freak accident at the gym, and broke one of his vertebrae in his upper back. That put him out of the Olympic level. And so I took over the mantle as far as lifting. Now, he's still training now. He's 88 and in phenomenal shape. But I stayed with the sport. And as I grew, I got bigger and a little bit better. And before you know it, I made the Olympic team and uh, traveled all over the world on our national squads and international squads. And had a, a very, very long career as an Olympic weightlifter.
0: And I'm guessing dad was probably your coach then as a young man, is that right?
1: My father was my coach and still is my coach. He, in the gym now, four or five days a week, you can see uh, three generations trained at the same time. My father, myself, my sons, and, and my wife. So it's a little bit of a family affair. And he is still the master. He's still the guru of the sport. And not quite as quick as he was, but uh, he is still... Real quick there to tell me I'm messing up.
0: <laughs> All right. So it's, that's fantastic. So 88-year-old father is still your coach and can point out some tactical things, etc. Now, is he still performing Olympic?
1: Lift? Yeah, he still competes. Competes through national championships in masters, which is weightlifting for over 35. Uh, there are different age groups, different weight classes for that as well. And so he is probably, if not the most decorated master weightlifter in the country, if not the world. And at 88, he still competes. He's usually the oldest in the competition and does very, very well. And, you know, he he trains in this facility, which is the Anderson Cohen Weightlifting Center, three days a week. He doesn't miss it.
0: I love it. 88 years old, still competes, and still works out three times a week. By the way, those banging sounds you hear in the background, that's the sound of people getting stronger. I asked Michael how he made the Olympic team.
1: Well, at that time in the, in the 80s, it was one Olympic trials. Our Olympic trials was held in the spectrum in Philadelphia. I was lifted in the 181-pound class, 82-kilo class. And at that competition, you know, whoever wins is going to make the team for sure. Whoever comes in second is more likely going to make the team based on the production of the other classes below you. The weight classes below me did not produce the results, so they made an announcement that the top two in the 82-5-kilo, 81-pound class, would make the Olympic team. I went there as a top five athlete. I did uh, very, very well in the snatch, which is what I was known for. And in the cleaner jerk, I opened with what I needed to make the team. You get three attempts. That's all you get is three attempts. So I went on my first attempt and I missed it. And then I went on my second attempt and missed it. And as I was walking up and chalk my hands up, I could hear my father say, this is it, you better do it. So I went up there and made the lift, and at that point in time, I knew I made the Olympic team. And then the next day, they made the final decision where they, where the board of directors of USAW get together and actually vote, and it's just a formality. But you're not, it's not done until they say it's done. And I was named the Olymp- Olympian, 1980. Wow,
0: what an accomplishment! I, I can imagine that that had to be really intense as you're going in there for a third lift now. Is this a competition where when you open with a lift, mm-hmm. can you go backwards in weight?
1: Once you call the weight, that's it. And you know, a lot of athletes would take a lighter weight just to get one in, but we weren't there just to get one in. We were there to make the team. That was, it, it was going to be an all or nothing. It's basically as baseball
0: Gotcha. So it's an all or nothing. So that's, that's why you failed those first two attempts. They weren't your normal openers, right?
1: More than I've done before. It was not like I was opening with weight when I've done for this is more than I've ever tried before in competition. And, uh, my father said that, that, you know, the only shot you have of, of doing is having three shots. So I give everything you got. Because so anything can go happen. You know, you're going to miss it. It's more than likely not going to be strength. It's going to be a technical flaw. It's like gymnastics with weights. And so the first two, I just was, was thinking about everything but what I need to be thinking about. And the third one, I calmed down and, and relaxed, even though there's more pressure on you. And I was able to, to pull it off, make both the clean and the jerk.
0: Okay. So before we continue our story, you'll need a little background. The 1980 Summer Olympics were held in Moscow, and some of you may be thinking right about now, wait a minute, wasn't that the year we boycotted the Olympics? Yep, it certainly was. If you remember back, then-President Jimmy Carter told Russia if they didn't pull out of Afghanistan, which they'd invaded the year before, we wouldn't send any athletes to the Olympics. And we didn't. The United States, along with 64 other countries, boycotted the 1980 Summer Olympics. Here's Michael's take.
1: Yeah, basically boils down to is, is he told the Russians that they did not remove himself from Afghanistan, that we would not send our Olympic team to Moscow. Now, you have to understand the politics of what's going on. First of all, you can't bluff the Russians at that time. It's a different world now, but back then. And so the Russians could not possibly uh, cave in to Jimmy Carter, a peanut farmer from Georgia. There was no way that they could afford that internationally. That said it ended up being a a disaster for Olympic athletes like myself because you got to understand back then in the 80s, there was no money in the sport. You you didn't get paid for this. The athletes today are all professional athletes. that all get paid. They all get paid huge sums of money. But the reality of the matter is back then you did it for the glory. That was it. And so the decision was made that the athletes would not go. And as it turns out, looking back on it, historically, it it was a, a big deal. Forget about the athletes part of it. You've got to understand that the Soviet Union was in dire straits of capital, money. And they needed something that the United States was going to give them, and that's millions of dollars in, in cash to compete in the Olympics. Not only that, but you've got all the thousands of Americans that would travel to the Soviet Union, hotel, food, and, and whatnot. It was a financial gamble for them, and they did not get it. And I really believe today, looking back over it, that that was one one of the many factors that led to the downfall of the old Russian is is the fact that they didn't get that cash flow, that that millions, if not billions of dollars, of hard currency that they so desperately needed. So maybe Carter had it right all along. The reality of the matter is the athletes like myself, that was it, you know? And a lot of my teammates uh, and and, and athletes on the team, that was a one shot deal. You only make it once in a lifetime and, and that's it. And you got to understand, again, it's not a job. You, 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 everything you have is on hold, your life, your career, everything. And, you know, can you stick around for, for four eight more years? Most of the time, the answer is no. Now, nowadays, it's a profession. And so you stick around because you're getting paid. But back then, it wasn't. So it, it was it was a tough time. Bitter pill to swallow.
0: Yeah, it certainly sounds like it. There were obviously big things at play, things that were completely outside of your control.
1: As my father said when he got me ready for the competition, you know, you do what you've got to do to make the team. You can't control what's going to happen outside United States, outside the world. You can't control that, but you can control putting yourself on the team. And that's the goal. The family needs that to solidify to, the to deal. My father was, it was geared for the 56 Olympics until the injury. This was an opportunity to put us back in the fold.
0: So you ha- you have this once-in-a-lifetime shot mm-hmm. to actually go and perform at the Olympics, and unfortunately – Due to circumstances completely yeah. outside of your control, just emotionally, how do you how do you deal with the aftermath of that?
1: Well, I'm gonna tell you, a, a lot of my peers, it it was life changing for a lot of reasons. The reality of the matter is, you set your guidelines, you set your goals, and every athlete, every professional is is a goal oriented person, and you set those. And of course, that goal you will not achieve at this particular time. And so I said, well, you know, I've got I'm I'm plenty young enough. I'm in an old man sport. I can certainly come back again and again and again. And, of course, unfortunately, injuries stopped me in, in, in proceeding on. But that, that's just the way it is. It's, it, you can't cry over spilled milk. It's done. It's out of your hands. You did what you need to do to be ready and, and be set. Once you're named Olympian, you're Olympian for life, and that's a cool deal. So, uh, you know, I never looked back. I kept moving forward. Even when I decided to retire my career, I wasn't going to look back and, and cry over it.
0: Wow. I can't begin to imagine. To be so young, Michael would have been, what, 21 at the time? And to achieve the dream of becoming an Olympic athlete and traveling to Moscow to compete, only to have all that dashed by world politics? But that's by no means where Michael's story ends. In fact, it's just the beginning. Michael went on to successfully compete on the world stage.
1: The Olympics was obviously the, the highlight. That's what people talk about is the Olympics. But I had some very big competitions that were incredibly important. I was able to compete in China in 1980 when it was a closed society. And again, Carter had it set up where we go to China to compete in Shanghai. That would have been the first Olympics that China was allowed to compete in, the 1980 Olympics. And of course, they boycotted with us. It was a great opportunity. I got to compete there in front of 30,000 people. And uh, just like the Olympic trials, sent out do or die lift. You make the lift, you win the gold medal. You miss the lift, you come in second. And I went out there and made the lift and, and won the gold medal in China. And so that was a, you know, a, as far as an athletic point of view, that was probably the, the utopia of, of my, the pinnacle of Michael Cohen. But I was able to compete all over the world and and enjoyed that level of competition for a very long time.
0: And are you still competing today?
1: I play today. I train, I compete in the master's division, which is over 35 in different age groups. And I I still compete. I I enjoy the thrill of of competing. I can't lift the weights I did, obviously. Those days are long gone, but I enjoy pushing myself to to see what I can accomplish. I'm not trying to relive my youth. I'm just trying to stay healthy now. And uh, the most important thing is to have fun. And so it's the pressure is gone. It's not about that, it's about just having a good time.
0: That's fantastic. And we had already mentioned that your whole family is still active in lifting. Uh, you mentioned your sons, your father, your wife is also an accomplished lifter. But it sounds like for the most part, you've transitioned into the coaching hat, right? You wear that more yeah. than the competitor, hat, it yeah. sounds like. Yeah. Tell us, we know that we read at the intro that you were a two-time Olympian coach. Talk us through that story. How, how did that come about?
1: The, uh, when I uh, I got injured in the 88 Olympic trials, mm-hmm and it prevented me from making a team. I hate to use the word shoe in but I was a shoe in and I got injured backstage, in between a snatch and clean drug. jerk, I got hurt. A freak accident that would never hurt you more than a couple days, and that was it. One shot, that was it. And so I, I, I was backstage after it was all said and done, I was very upset. My father came over and said, son, it's time to move on. You know, your body is tearing down now, you're getting older, you need to think about other things. He says, I said, well, that's it. Then I'll be done. I'm not going to get involved anymore. He said, no, that's that's ridiculous. You, you've got all this knowledge and expertise. You've been there as an athlete. Why don't you go into coaching? And so reluctantly, I followed his advice. And as it turns out, it was a, a very smart move. He saw something in me that I didn't see. And I have been started a program in Savannah. That program grew into a powerhouse in 1995, The International Weightlifting Federation and the International Olympic Committee made the decision that women would be lifting in the Olympics in 2000. And I was poised. I had several athletes, female athletes, that were geared towards that Olympic team. And in 98, I was named the Olympic coach of the year in 99. And then I was named the Olympic coach. And so I got to do something that that no other Olympian has been able to do. And that is weightlifting is be the Olympic coach and be the Olympic athlete and and do all at one time. And so I was able to go to Sydney with my team. Uh, I was very fortunate to have one of our young ladies win a gold medal and one of our young ladies win a bronze medal. So it was a very rewarding experience.
0: Wow. And that would have been the first time that women were in the Olympics for that's weightlifting. Right.
1: That's correct. That's right. 20, right? right. I made the team. Yeah. And yeah,
0: so, and, but and you had the the gold and the bronze medalist. Yeah. We wow. had the
1: gold and bronze medalist for the United States team. And uh, it, it was obviously a. a a, a phenomenal feeling to be able to accomplish that as a coach and then to to be selected to go again, which is very unusual. That's usually something that's not done to go back in Athens in, in 2004.
0: So Michael finally did get to go to the Olympics, but this time as the head coach for the women's weightlifting team in Sydney, Australia. And then again in 2004, that time in Greece in 2000, his women brought home the gold and the bronze. In 2004, his women were battling some injuries, but still competed as best they could. Since we'd mentioned injuries a few times in this story so far, this seemed like the perfect place to ask Michael about the safety of weightlifting. As most of you listeners know, if you perform any athletic endeavor long enough, you're going to come up against injury. And the further you push towards becoming elite in any sport, the more likely you are to become injured. So this seemed as good a place as any to address the safety of performing the Olympic lifts. I mean, there's no way us non-elite, mere mortals should be performing these lifts, right?
1: Well, first of all, you've got to understand for, for every doctor that you can pull up that says you should not squat, deadlift, or do Olympic movements, you've got an equal number on the other end of the spectrum. And that's something that's always amazed me. It's, it's not a white or black issue, as in it's this way or this way. You, you've got to understand that everybody's different. Everybody's different. Training an older athlete is different than training a younger athlete. No question about that. You know, older athletes like myself, it takes a little longer to recover. We got more aches and pains. I mean, it's it's a whole different kettle of fish. But medical staff that I deal with are cutting edge, and they understand that the best way to extend life, the best way to have a healthier life is to work your muscles. When you stop working your muscles and you start becoming more sedentary, then you have all kinds of health issues down the road. Stay active. My father's 88. He doesn't miss a workout. He's 88 years old. He still comes to the gym and trains. Doesn't train like his son, me, or his grandson, but he's working out. He's messing with the weights. Progressive resistance strengthens the bones, strengthens the joints, gives him the power to do things that people his age. Let me tell you, we have a a program in here called The Gym, Get Excited Move, which is dealing with an older group of individuals. They will be in the gym training, a group setting. 20, 30, 40 of them at one time. My father will come and set up his little platform, do his lifting, and when he gets finished, puts everything back, jumps on the floor, 15, 20, 30, 50 push ups like rapid fire at 88 in front of all those people that are certainly nowhere near his age. And he just blasts it out, and they all look at him like, oh my God. And then the reality is, to him, that's insignificant. That's nothing. He has prepared himself so hard that that he's going to have aches and pains, but it's nothing like his peers.
0: Yeah, that's a great story. I, I think that when most people think of an 88-year-old person, they're not envisioning somebody doing Olympic lifts. They're not envisioning somebody knocking out, you know, repping out push-ups. They're probably thinking of somebody frail, probably in a home, etc. This progressive overload and this resistance training is not only building muscle, but it's also building healthier joints, healthier bones, all of which are things that are key to independence. It's,
1: it's it, it everything. It's it, People don't understand is is that you have to do resistance training. Now I'm not talking about bodybuilding at a link level in, in the weight room. That that's that you know no, I don't even train like that for Christ's sake. But the reality of the matter is is you got to put your body against resistance if you want it to respond. And my workouts are, are 40 minutes, 45 minutes, maybe an hour every once in a while. My father's maybe 30 minutes. It's intensity, It's the int- very high intensity, but it's very very quick and it's done and he's got his heart going good, his muscles are in great shape, his agility, his mind, all those things. The most impressive thing my father does in front of his pe- the people that I have in the gym is not due to push-ups, is that he jumps down on the floor, does them, and then jumps back up. It doesn't take him, you know, 30, 40 seconds to get down and 34 seconds to get back up. It is bam, bam, done like a child, and that's the advantage of having your muscles stronger than the average person to do things down the road. You do cardio to live longer. You do strength training to have a higher quality of life. And so when you combine those two, you can not only live the right age, but you can do things. And that's what my father lives for is is doing things. And he's instilled that in me as well.
0: Yeah, that's very well said. And I've heard somebody else refer to that same thing as, you you know, we all have a lifespan and we all have a health span as Mm -hmm. well. Right. And that degree of attention to your health specifically in this case you know the resistance training the cardio and nutrition and, and uh, yeah you know, all of that tied together holistically it's going to determine whether or not you're going to age healthy or yep. unhealthy that's so right. yeah ha- hats off that's that's fantastic i love to hear that you've got a father 88 years old and yep. is still that healthy sure. and that he
1: said it time and time again it, it is no reason to live to, to 85, 90, 100, whatever it is, if you are not able to do things and enjoy life. My father's 88, he enjoys life. And, and that's what it's all about. So you have the power and the strength to do the things that other people, your peers look at and they go, my God, how? And the reason is he's done it all his life. And so it's a, it's a life change. And like anything that we deal with health, nutrition, exercise, it's got to be a life deal. You got to do it the entire time. If you want to get the benefits, and everybody wants the benefits, but very few of us are willing to pay the price to get those benefits.
0: Yeah, that's well said. So <laughs> that health rent is due every day, oh, yeah. every week, right? It's not not something that you can, a lot of, you know, we're recording this in, in January and uh, a lot of folks are in the gym right now. And, but there's a lot of New Year's resolutioners yeah. uh, that are making resolutions to get healthy right now. And unfortunately, the, the majority of them are going to drop out in the next month or two. Yeah. But As opposed to making, working out something that you have to do or something that you do for a certain amount of time Mm -hmm. to get back in shape or et cetera. I think that those of us that weave it into a part of our lifestyle, right? That it's something that we do every day and that's just how we live. That's that's the stronger way to age.
1: Yes. that's If you want. And I hear it all the time because I deal with a variety of of people in our facility and that the, the older generation, but not necessarily my generation, but the older generation than me, you know, they, they look at people that are successful in doing things and they go, God, I wish I could do that. No, no, no there's no wishing. It's a very, very simple. deal. It just requires a lot of dedication. Is that what you want to do? And of course, like you said, New Year's Eve, New Year's resolution is, you know, I'm going to get in shape, I'm going to get in shape. Look here, it took you a lot longer than two or three months to get the way you are now. It's going to take a lot longer to get you out of that position. And so it's got to be a life-changing situation. And those who make that decision, regardless of when they start, live a much, much happier lifestyle because they can do things. And that's what it's all about is doing things. People who train can do things. That's what you want to be able to do.
0: Did you catch that last sentence? Michael said, people who train can do things. That's what you want to be able to do. That's very succinctly spoken. People, especially those of us over 50, who strength train regularly are stronger, fitter, healthier, and are more capable, competent, and confident. And this spills over into all other areas of our lives. As you can certainly tell by now, Michael is very grounded. You might call him old school. I asked him about his coaching style, since he coaches kids, elite athletes, older adults, and even some special populations. And here's what he had to say.
1: My coaching philosophy is, is old world, old school, if you would. And the older athletes train very, very, diff, very, very hard, but they train smart. And, and the new philosophy of, I see of other coaches coming up, not some my peers, but younger than me, is that they spend a tremendous amount of time doing a lot of remedial stuff that really doesn't pay dividends. It's not doing you any good. It it is it aggravates me because it's a very simple deal to train elite level athletes in any sport. You find out what you need and you gear towards that. My peers were old school as me. They believed in pushing hard and training hard, but it's a philosophy. You train hard, but you rest harder. That's the secret. Okay, you can't go, 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 because you're gonna tear up, tear up, tear up. You know, if you've got 50, 60, 70,000 superstars, then you don't mind pushing real hard. But if you hurt one, then you got another one that could come up and take their place. We do that in professional sports in the United States, and we're very good at it. Right? But if you've only got one or two superstars, then you can't do that. You've got you to really baby it and take time and nurture it and care for it. There's an old saying down here in the South, and that is, is you don't fiddle on a Stradivarius, And that means that you can't beat up something that's really, really priceless. And that's my philosophy is I take my time. I look at the the whole athlete, the holistic athlete, and I'm uh, pretty good at motivating somebody to get them to go to where they've never been before and, and push them, but push them with with common sense. If an athlete tells me they're injured, that's it. It's done. I wait until they get cleared by medical before we start moving any further than that. I am not somebody that's going to push you to, to the nth degree. But then on the other hand, I know what it takes to get to the elite level. I know exactly what you have to do. The Definition of an athlete is the one who can endure pain. The definition of a champion is one who can endure a lot of pain. And so it's going to be some of that in there. Now, that philosophy works real well with Olympic-level athletes, up-and-coming athletes, that type of things. Not for master athletes, not for older athletes. That's a whole different ballgame. So you got to be able to switch your gears. When you deal with youth, it's slow motion. It's technique, technique, technique. When you deal with older athletes, uh, junior athletes, you know, the sub-20s, into the twenty-fives and so forth. Different ball game, you go at it, you give it everything you got, because you only got a small window of opportunity to be successful. And then after that, master athletes, have fun, be safe, and stay in shape. And 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 that's it. Those three different groups get three different levels of Michael Cohen.
0: Okay, yeah, let's let's pick that apart a little bit. Because you said a lot there, so obviously, we all know, we we remember when we were younger. Recovery is not. Recovery. What do you need to worry about recovery? Right, you just do it when you're younger. What uh-huh. you said though, you said, train hard but rest harder. Let's talk about the masters athlete. They come in mm-hmm. and they want to perform well. They want to be right. athletes, right. but not maybe at you know a national or international level. How do you get them to perform at their best and get the most out of them? And what do you, how do you coach them well on the recovery piece?
1: The, the first thing you have to understand is the coach cannot want it more than the athlete. It's just that simple. The first thing I do is I sit down in the same office with the, with the kids, the master athletes, whatever it is, and we talk about their goals, what do they want to accomplish. And then what can I do to help them accomplish their goals? And that will tell me what we're dealing with. And if we're dealing with somebody who's very, very focused and they've got it set up, coach, I want to be a member of the 2028 Olympic team. Okay, Well, that tells me pretty much where, where their train of thought is. And the master athletes is I want to compete in the world championships, and next year, and and do top five in, in the world if I can. That's a different level altogether, different ball game. And so the first thing is I find that out and I match that goal to what they need to be successful at that level. A master athlete that comes in here, it just wants to work out to get a little stronger. Different ball game altogether. They're not interested in competing. They're not interested in the Olympics, the worlds, or anything like that stuff. So therefore, their training philosophy is totally different. Totally different. You know, much more holistic because they're not interested in focusing that beam of light into a small little laser. Okay. That laser is that goal. They're looking for my, what's my goal to be healthier. So I can, I can enjoy life. That's a big spectrum. We can do a big spectrum training. The more focused you get, the more zeroed in you get, the more lasered you get in there, the more specific the training is, the more it's got to be exactly right. What we need to get you to that level. And so my job is to take all that and put it all together and match it up. And then put out the program. But I tell the athletes time and time again, I can't want it more than you. Mm. Okay? If you want to be a member of the 1928 Olympic team in weightlifting and compete in Los Angeles, then you are gonna have to make some sacrifices. I mean, it's just that simple. So you can't call me at, at three o'clock in the afternoon and say, you know, I'm supposed to be there at three thirty, coach, but I can't make it. To, you know, uh, 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 something's come up. That can't happen. So you're not focused in on what you need to do. And so those kind of things dictate the type of coach I'm going to be. And if, if you're going to give it everything, I'm going to give it everything to the nth degree. And so that's how it works out. It's a, it's a mutual respect of each other.
0: Yeah, I, I can see how that works. And so for folks that ju- are just coming off the street, sounds like you coach a wide variety of athletes. Very right. Wide. Uh, obviously, you you coach the elite of the elite. So. What is the typical person coming in who's not looking for something elite, but is looking for something more? Uh, just you know, I want to be in shape, I want to move better, I want to feel better. Yeah. What is that person's profile? I'm trying to think. How do they find you, and what are they looking for?
1: Well, what they're looking for is they're looking for answers. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for you to guide them and, and give them the answer they need, and to match up what they're looking for. I've got individuals that come in here that uh, they're looking just to gain a few pounds, lose a few pounds you know, and, and getting better. I, I, I've had a couple of knee surgeries. I had hip operation. I, I can't do the things I used to do. I want to be able to do those things again. I want to be able to hit the ball further in, in golf. You know, I, I want to be able to, to go out and, and, and take a run and not be breathing really hard. You know, those types of things. But the average person that comes into the Anderson Cohen Olympic Training Center is looking to be better at something else they're doing. That's the average and then I've got a large group of people, like we talked just a minute ago about the, the gym program, Get Excited Move, that have mobility issues, serious mobility issues, central tremors, Parkinson's, MS, Louis body, dementia. Those individuals have concerns where their biggest fear in life is falling because they, if they fall, they're going to hurt something or break something or they're not going to be able to get up, and their wife's not going to be able to get them up. they got to call somebody to help them come over there. That's a huge fear. This, this basically wants to, to build a little more muscle mass, build a little more bone density so they can protect themselves when they fall, and to improve their balance. That's a totally different ballgame. I mean, you know, we're talking about balance and, 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 and just life skills and those kind of things, so that all has to be matched. So when you talk about coaching, there's a different philosophy that matches the different type of group of people we're using. There's not atypical in our facility. And then the last is the ones that are trying to lose weight. I mean, that's, you know, all, that's the bugaboo. Everybody in the country has gained 15, 20 pounds from all this thing that's happened, locked us up, and, and everybody's trying to get rid of that because one of the, the the horrible things about what's going on is the fact that this pandemic we're in affects people that have too much weight on their body. It causes too much strain on the heart and the lungs, and, and so therefore more people are now looking at, at dropping the weight, getting it down. It's just, it's difficult to start, you know. You gained twenty pounds. It took nine months, and it ain't gonna take you know three weeks to get it down. So.
0: Yeah, that's right, that's right. And so, when these people are coming to you, what what kind of modalities do you do you use? I mean, does everybody clean and jerk and snatch? Oh, no, no, <laughs> no, 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 no,
1: no, no. All right, I just want to kind of make that Olympic out. Jerks are going to be your Olympic lifters, weightlifters. Okay, power cleans. Virtually every sport that I work with has power cleans in their workout because it's a great overall move. If you're involved in movement at all. That is a great movement to use. So, you know, uh, obviously squats of some kind, deadlifts of some kind, pulls of some kind, some upper body work, obviously core, which is your stomach and back, a lot of that, regardless of sport. If you're dealing with explosive sports, then agility and speed and reaction, that that becomes very, very critical. Uh, This morning we had a university, had their football team in here, all 100 plus athletes come in here, two sessions. They train here. And so we have the facility that can house that many athletes. Clearly, they're training different than the program that walked into the gym 40 minutes after they left, which is where your Parkinson's is central tremors. So we went from a much high-level intensity training to a much lower-level intensity training, but more time on balance and coordination and whatnot.
0: Yeah, obviously, I love the way that you match programs to populations. And so you, you called it your Get Excited and Move program, and that's the special population, Parkinson's, yeah. et cetera. What drew you to that?
1: I was hired by the National Wheelchair Basketball Association in uh, 2013 to prepare the team for 2016 in Rio. And and my job was to get them ready and for them to have the first strength coach they've ever had. And the reality of the matter is in 2012, the team, male and female in the Olympics did not do very well. And so the Olympic committee said, you got to hire somebody. So my name was drawn out of a hat. And uh, no, I was I was hired because I'd worked with Paralympic before. And so I wrote and designed a strength conditioning program for our wheelchair teams, both men and women. And we started out with, with 96 plus athletes and we whittled it down to the 15. When I was at the Olympic Training Center in 2016, about three months before the games, they were making their final selections. The men's team was making their final selection. And while I was out there, the uh, Parkinson's support group in Georgia got in touch with my wife, who got in touch with me at a training center, said, these people would like to talk to you. So I called them up and they said, look here, we would love for you to help design a program to help our group of people. And I said, well, I don't know a whole lot about, about Parkinson's, or central tremors. I know it's a neurological disease, but that's about at the length of my knowledge. Let me do some background research on it and come see if I can build a a better mousetrap, and so I, I took a look at the program. I took a look at what was being offered, and what I saw being offered nationally was was not what I wanted. I, I you know, I, I need holistic. I need opportunities. And if you're not very wealthy, you can't afford this over here. No, no, no. This is going to be for everybody. And so what we did is I came back to Savannah and I spent some time and developed this this concept, and then I went to the local support group in Savannah. And I said, this is what I've come up with. What do you think? And they took a look at it. and They said, well, it concerns us because you're having these people do this and this and this. I said, yeah, yeah, I understand. But let's try it. So we talked to the two groups in Savannah. We had 16 people volunteer to be part of a pilot program that was basically an eight week program at uh, twice a week. At the end of that eight weeks, we didn't lose anybody. And everybody's level of athleticism, of, of health improved dramatically. In fact, the woman that was the lead doctor for the entire group, the neurologist specialist, was, was thrilled about what she saw. She had people that were, were doing a whole lot better, taking less medication. It was night across the board. The local university in Savannah ended up doing field research on it, experimenting with them, with the type of activity we were doing. It's uh, holistic, so it's everything. It's not just centered on one little thing. It's everything. It's it's strength conditioning to build muscle mass because one of the side effects of these disease you lose muscle mass, which means you lose bone density. Bone density osteoporosis is a disaster when you get older. Then we spent some time doing agility and some time doing flex uh, stretching and some time doing some calisthenics and some floor work and some just kettlebells and dumbbells and, and you name it, bells. We used everything I could come up with. We made it fun. We made it exciting. It's, it's 35, 45 minutes, sometimes an hour. And it is is—it's a blast. The deal was to move, to have a good time, to laugh. And the more importantly is to socialize. And that program has now exploded in our community. Even during the pandemic, we've done very, very well at keeping that program alive and well.
0: That's fantastic. And I think I saw, maybe it was on your website, that you refer to these clients as athletes, not That's as right. patients
1: anybody yeah. walks in the gym are considered athletes and they're trained as athletes and I'm gonna tell you what God help us if we don't yell at them like we like a coach would yell at an athlete if we go in there and we don't yell at these people lovingly then they're going to say you don't want to like me anymore you wouldn't yell at me or push me no no we're gonna push you and it's amazing how many people respond to that the the support group was a little concerned because you know these are not athletes mr. Cohen I said no when they walk in that door, they're now an athlete. They're going to be trained as an athlete, treated as an athlete, and 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 that's it. The first one that's going to that's going to kick you in the butt is is the coach, me, and the first one that's going to pat you on the back is also me. So I believe in positive reinforcement all the time. I'm a very up person all the time. But then on the other hand, if you're having that off day, you don't need anybody patronizing you. You you need somebody that's going to, that's going to say, hey, "Look here, remember, we got to step up," and so it, it it works out real well. I'm very happy with that group.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. So I'll make sure that at the end here, we tell people where they can go to find out more about that program, and I'll drop it into the show notes as well. So let's talk about older athletes here. So let's just say um, a man or woman in their 60s who's fairly in a deconditioned state, but was probably active at some point early in their life. They come to you and they want to work with you, but they're a little intimidated about getting started. What do you tell that person? How do you kind of get that person started? Well,
1: believe it or not, it's, it's, it's really, really simple. It's not where you are. It's where you're going to be. We all have to start somewhere. My number one athlete in this gym can put over his head to 450 pounds, to his chest all the way over his head, my oldest son. That said, he warms up with a piece of PVC pipe that weighs about, you know, 30 ounces. That's it. So he goes from 30 ounces to 450 pounds. It's not where you are. It's where you're going to be. The first step is you got here. You made it this far. You got out the house and you made a commitment to come over and at least sit down and talk. So we're going to start very, very light and we're going to move up. And, and no one's going to laugh and no one's going to poke the fun at you or none of that kind of stuff. Because everybody in this gym, everybody in this training facility knows that you're starting at, at ground zero. No problem. And we don't know what's going to happen. You know, two years from now, you could be the. The 60-year-old superstar weightlifting. I mean, you you just don't know, and so that's how we do it. And, and I'm a, at one of my signs I have in my gym that, that we always point to is just that it's not where you are, it's where you're going to be, and you have made the first step.
0: Yeah, that's great. So I, I I agree wholeheartedly. The first step is making that commitment, right? Okay. Stepping okay. in the gym, and that can be very intimidating, especially oh, for an older adult, right? Walk into a gym. There's clanging. In your type of gym. There's going to be clanging, banging, probably some yelling going on. Oh, yeah,
1: I guarantee you that. Um, Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah. yeah they walk playing. into a global gym might be other things that are intimidating, but certainly making that commitment to walk through the door and say, hey, I'm, I'm ready for change. I yeah. love the way you describe that is, OK, let's let's not focus where you are. Let's focus on, on what where you want to be, or what you're looking to do. to do. Yeah, fantastic. And then you would safely progress them through movement and load, right. et cetera.
1: It's, it's going to go at the, the pace of the individual. Some people go a lot faster than others. But again, as I tell people, look here, life is a marathon. It's not a dash. You know, I mean, it's, 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 it's going to take us a while and I'm there for you. I mean, you know, the, co- the entire coaching staff is there to take you to the next level, to be with you with this journey. And if the journey is only going to be a couple of steps, then that's that's as far as you want to go. Fantastic. And if you'd see yourself down the road as as whatever, our job is to help you achieve that goal. Then that's what makes a, 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 a good person and more importantly, a good coach.
0: And do you primarily work with people on site or do you have a virtual practice as well?
1: I I don't do virtual at all. My enthusiasm doesn't come out like this. I do go to people's places. I've got a, a, a solid group of people that I actually travel around the community. I go about 100 miles outside the community to work with individuals that want a different quality of life but they, they, they don't want to be around people, and then they're too embarrassed or, or whatever the case may be. And so we accommodate that, and I am one of the ones that, that most people would like to see is come there. And so, you know, it's something about having a, you know, an Olympian and an Olympic coach work with you. So we accommodate everything. That, that's just the way it is. I enjoy it. It is something I've done all my life, and now it is, I'm at a point now where I've got some really good, solid athletes. I've put athletes on the Olympic team and the worlds and, and everything else, and I get – is much fun out of working with somebody example i i've got a, a young man i say young man it's in his 50s he just got diagnosed with severe severe parkinson's which is very young and when he first started working with me to take the lightweight bar which weighs 10 pounds and put up on his chest put over his head was next to impossible i mean it literally was literally was pulling teeth and so yesterday in the training he did 110 pounds and so that's a huge improvement. So you look at where he is and where he, where he was and where he is now, it's night and day difference. And that euphoria of him going where he hasn't been before and achieving what he never thought would be possible again is a tremendous high for me. And I get just as much kick out of that as I watch my athletes compete in the Olympics and win the gold medal. Not as much as when my child wins the gold medal, but pretty doggone
0: close. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. And I, I think a lot of a lot of coaches can relate to that, right? Yeah. I mean, most coaches are in it for exactly that. It's that it's the passion for the sport or the training that, that yeah. they do. But it's more than that. It's watching your client actually achieve things that they never thought possible. Is to, you know that you just described it as a high, right?
1: It's real simple. As I tell people, I do about 120 clinics a year all over the country weightlifting clinics and i tell them the individuals who sign up for these things i tell them all the time look here i am 63 i lifted some huge weights when i was younger i'll never lift those weights again ever ever some of those weights i don't even want to think about because my knees hurt just thinking about them. so the euphoria of me going to where i have not been in a weightlifting situation will never happen i'll never get to that level again i'll never lift those kind of weights again and so i live vicariously through the accomplishments of my athletes." When I send an athlete out there to break a record and win the medal, its I remember that feeling. I remember that high. If, if I've got an individual that's in the gym that, that's, that's all of a sudden putting over his head 110 pounds when it used to be 10 pounds, I understand that that he will live that moment for, for several hours. In fact, he may even sleep about it, think about it the next night. And so I understand that, and, and I miss that. And the only way I can get my hands back on that again is to relive it through other people.
0: Yeah, living it vicariously through your athletes. Yeah, absolutely. Now, do a lot of your elite athletes, do they travel there to, to work well, with you? Well, yeah, I've got
1: people, that, I got people that travel to Savannah and train. Uh, I've got that. a lot of people all over the country that I actually work with. I do a lot of remote programming where I write the program for them. Mm-hmm. I do it totally different than a lot of people. To me, it's a passion. I don't do it computer-generated and one size fits all. Everybody's different, and it's, it's a lot of fun. Very time-consuming. But it is, it is a lot of fun. Most of my people that I work with remotely around the country, I actually see when I travel around the country. I'll let them know that I'm going to be, hey, I'm going to be in, in, in Brownsville, Texas. And, and, you know, if you're in that within a couple hundred miles, please stop by. I'll be you know, glad to work with you for free. So you got a community of people that you, that you like. Of course, i got my athletes here in Savannah. But we have a little bit of everything. And it, it, to me, it's, it's a blast. I enjoy keeping the balls in the air. I enjoy, you know, getting up in the morning and going seeing see a guy that's in his 70s that's had a stroke and, and work with him and then turn right around and come to the gym and work with the guy that's trying to train for the 2024 games, you know, and and, and turn around and go work with this gentleman over here. I mean, it, it's you're bouncing back and forth all kind of different levels. I enjoy that.
0: Yeah, that. You do have quite a, a wide variety of, I mean, I mean, most coaches don't get to to coach Olympic level athletes, mm-hmm. right? Or super elite athletes. So that's one thing. That's the pointy end of the stick. But you're also not just in the general population, but out into the special populations mm-hmm. as well. Some of these, yeah. like you said, the older people, yeah. the folks yeah. that you work with in your Get Excited Move program. You had mentioned doing seminars and whatnot. And I one thing I wanted to run by you or just kind of get your thoughts on is, is CrossFit. I know CrossFit has put a lot of barbells into a lot of adults, specifically older adults' hands, and it's taught them to Olympic lift.
1: Okay. CrossFit has done more for USA weightlifting than anything else at all. Uh, 25 years ago, United States weightlifting might have had 3,000 registered athletes in the whole entire country. Now we're in the 35 40,000 range. Why? CrossFit. Wow. You know, you walk down the street to anywhere in the country with a little barbell on your shirt, and the first thing person who asks you is how much can you bench press see I don't get that anymore and that's because CrossFit doesn't do a whole lot of benches they do the Olympic movements so it's amazing I, I just came back on a five-day uh, tour of Texas and in that process I had to stop and get gas all over the place and and it's amazing how many times I walk in to, to get something the, the, the little convenience thing there and the person working there says, hey, you do Olympic weightlifting? Uh, yeah, I do Olympic weightlifting. And that's changed now. There's no more question about how much you can bench press. You know, what's your best, cleaner and jerk? Do you work with this athlete? CrossFit has done that. They've done that. My sport has not done that at all. But we've, we've got the residual of, of CrossFit. So CrossFit's done amazing things for United States weightlifting. And, of course, and for me, I would say uh, – of the places that I go to around the country that I do my clinics and coaching courses and whatnot are CrossFit boxes. And I would say of those 90%, 80% are repeat. I've gone to, you know, three, four, five, six, seven times in the last eight years. So it's a blast. I, I enjoy that. I work with another group of athletes. I get, you know, four hours to beat the mess out of them and have a good time and laugh and joke and teach them something.
0: Yeah, okay. I I thought you might answer that way. CrossFit certainly has made those movements a little more accessible and, sure. and kind of popularized. I mean, that has to flow out. Now, sure. I, I do CrossFit sure. myself and I know there's a certain number of people that are going to come in, they're going to fall in love with that weightlifting piece sure. and they're going to they're going to leave CrossFit and they're going to go find specialized training.
1: And I would say uh, of the 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 five boxes that I visited this past week, four of them have asked me to help them develop Olympic weightlifting classes, what they call Mm -hmm. classes just for Olympic weightlifting because their members are starting to move towards that part of it because it is a a lot of fun. And so they they get to compete against people their own age. So you don't have a a 37 year old trying to compete against a 21 year old. It doesn't work that way. And then in the same hand, a 60 year old is not going to compete against a 37 year old. And there's sports specific for men and women, 10 weight classes for every age group. So you're talking about all the way up to infinity. I mean, you know, my father competes in the 85 to 89-year-old division. And so it, it's something there for everybody. And so you're seeing more and more CrossFit boxes go lean towards incorporating the Olympic lifting as a as a program itself to provide more opportunities for their clients.
0: And that's been my experience as well. I, I had never done Olympic lifting until I was in my mid-50s. And of course, I, I had heard somewhere in a men's magazine or on a... Some other show somewhere that that's dangerous. Why would you do that? You yeah. certainly wouldn't want to do cleaning jerks or snatches for time, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But that was not my experience. Our coaches were very methodical and very yeah. good about training. Like you said, we had Ollie classes. So, you know, every Saturday we had this Olympic lifting specialist come in and really work on technique. And it was one of the more popular classes we did. People really wanted to, sure. to learn more about that.
1: Sure. I did the, uh, I, I am a lead instructor for United States weightlifting, teaching the Olympic classes the coaching classes, level one, level two for the United States. And one of the things that we we push and we have documented information and, and data to back it up is it's an incredibly safe sport. There's very few injuries, serious injuries in our sport. I mean, it's something that, that you can do a long time, a long time, and it, it's not going to destroy you. Uh, it is a fast, explosive movement. So you get that speed, you get that generator power, and, and that's it. It is uh, 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 easy, easy to teach provided that you teach age-specific and level-specific. So it makes our job very easy because we have a set criteria of teaching you the Olympic movements, what they call the ballistic movements, and it's step-by-step-by-step-by-step. And if you follow that projection, then you're going to be a very safe coach and a safe athlete.
0: Yeah, so I I just want to make sure everybody out there heard that. What you're saying then is that Olympic lifting is safe and and you can do it – forever, right? Let me tell you. Pretty, more or less. Yeah. I don't know about forever, but certainly oh, you've yeah. got that longevity. Yeah. I'll give, right?
1: give you an example. Again, in, in our coaching courses. we mentioned this, when you talk about safety in sports, it's very, very difficult because all sports have a certain level of chance of difficulty to it. If you're going to reach a certain level, it's going to be difficult. But then on the other hand, you can twist an ankle walking outside. So weightlifting is considered one of the least injury-prone sports service.
0: Fantastic. Yeah, love it. All right, well, Michael, as we're wrapping up here, you've accomplished so much in your lifetime, right? Between your work as an athlete and then as a coach now, what's next for you?
1: Believe it or not, I am the organizing committee director for the uh, 2021 National Master Championships in Orlando. So I'll serve as the uh, director of operations there for that. It will also host the uh, 2021 Pan American Championships. That will be also in the same venue in August. So I got my hands full there. I am the coordinator for the 2022 World Championships that will be held in United States, uh, first time since 2003. So I got my hands set there. I, uh, I usually schedule between 100 and 125 clinics nationally. I said used to say globally, but the last 10 months, there's no global in there. It's all local. So I travel. My wife books these things uh, usually three to six months in advance. Most of them are sold out. That That is something I truly enjoy. I am a, a college professor but this is my last semester so i can spend more time doing the other things that i love so i i got my hands full my oldest boy is in hard training he looks really good i think he's going to be ready for the nationals this year in june 2020 21 olympics is not in the cards for him that's that's past so the gear the deal now is to get him ready for 2024 which will be in paris so that's the next long term project for us and my wife's a national champion and world record holder so Basically, <laughs> to keep her going in the same position, yeah. but more importantly, is to get, keep myself strong enough so I can defend myself against her. So.
0: Is that right? Okay, fair enough. Yeah, that's, that's quite an active family. You've obviously got a lot going on. So if people want to connect with you, what's the best way for them to, well, to get in in touch with you? Well,
1: there's several ways. Michael Cohen, Olympic Weightlifting on Facebook. That's probably the best way. Uh, you can message me there. We have a website, uh, com. You can uh, uh, email me at uh, com as well. So, I mean, it, it's the best way to get in touch with me. People here locally always call me, basically, because I'm always at the gym or, or whatnot. But the Facebook Messenger is probably the best bet. Again, that's Michael Cohen Olympic Weightlifting. And, uh, you know, a lot of videos there, a lot of things going on. You can certainly scroll, look at the events that I'm going and the places that I'm going. I have a lot of people that go to those events that, that want to watch and, and perhaps participate in after they watch it for a while and and whatnot so
0: all right i'll make sure i get all that dropped into the show notes as well so people can contact you there so michael i just want to thank you so much for coming on the show sharing all of your stories your wisdom with us you're a great ambassador for healthy aging you really are and i wish you all the best in all your future endeavors
1: appreciate it thank you very much for having on and i look forward to talking to you again
0: Well, that's our show for today, folks. If you enjoyed today's episode, please tell your friends and please consider subscribing, giving us a five-star review. All the show notes and much more are available at our website at silver-edge.com. That's silver-edge.com. So until next time, stay strong.